are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. John 15, 1 through 8. I am the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like the branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's good to be with you, those gathered here in person and those joining us online. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, I hope that we can meet after the service today. And this is kind of the beginning of uh, the Thanksgiving holiday time. I know many of our college students have already headed out of town back home, uh, and I believe most of which are going to be gone for uh, the rest of the semester. So we'll miss you guys. If you're watching online, glad that you can do that uh, from your home. But before we dive into John 15 today, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time. So would you pray with me? Father, we come before you tonight and we just acknowledge our need for you. God, we acknowledge our need for your presence, for your grace. God, we acknowledge our need for Christ. We all acknowledge our need for the Holy Spirit. God, I believe that you want to help us, that you want to grow us and lead us in our lives today so that we might faithfully follow you in every aspect of, of who we are and how we think and how we live. So God, we pray by the power of your spirit as we open your word now that you would do a work in our hearts and lives for your glory and for our good. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So Amy and I, uh, we do not have green thumbs by any stretch of the imagination. Doing yard work and planting things and growing things is not uh, high on our skills list. But one of our neighbors up the street, uh, she is very good at growing things, has an excellent green thumb. And over uh, a few months ago, Amy had mentioned to her that she really wanted to grow tomatoes in our yard. And so our friend up the street, she does things like that. She grows tomatoes, she grows plants. And so she, on her own, brought a little tiny tomato plant down to our house in a little pot and gave instructions about how to help this little tomato plant grow and bear some fruit. I was skeptical. Amy was excited. Imagining this idea of having all these tomatoes throughout the summer, a plant filled with nice red tomatoes. Well, eventually, we saw one little green guy pop up on this little tomato plant. And that was it. He didn't make it. And needless to say, neither did the plant for a variety of reasons. We were hoping for this thriving, growing plant that we could eat these tomatoes from, this producing this fruit and this bounty, but now there's not even a remnant of what might have been. Maybe next year. 
You know, I think if, if we asked most followers of Jesus, if they were thinking about their spiritual life, their life with God, and you ask them, if we ask one another this question, and said, would you rather, when you think about your spiritual life, would you rather have a spiritual life that's marked by fruitlessness and stagnation, or a spiritual life that's marked by vitality and life? Most of us would say the second, right? Vitality, life. That's the kind of spiritual life we want. We want a thriving spirituality. We want a thriving life with God. We want to grow close with Him. We know that that's something that's good for us. It's something that we hopefully long for. But why is it that oftentimes for us in the journey we have with Jesus, that our spiritual life often seems to, at different points in time, look a lot more like that little tomato plant than the thriving plant we have in our minds. Well, as we come to our text today, Jesus helps us with this. He shows us and he tells us by way of analogy the way for all of us to thrive spiritually. To thrive spiritually. And what Jesus says here isn't rocket science for our lives, but it is crucial. Now, for some of you, you've just heard this text read, and you've probably heard it before. Maybe some of you have it memorized, or you've studied it before, and that's good. For some of you, you've never heard this part of the Gospel of John before, and that's all right as well, because my hope for all of us today, whether we've been following Jesus for a long time or we're just kind of checking out who Jesus is, is that God would actually use this time in his word to do something unique in your life, unique in your life to help you along the way as you journey with Jesus. As I've been studying and thinking about this week and spending time praying for you and praying for our church, praying for myself, I really believe God wants to help you to continue to grow if you're already in Christ and help those that don't yet know Christ come to know him. So with that, let's jump into John 15 and may we see what God wants to do in our lives today as we seek to see Jesus more clearly today. Now, as far as context goes, Judas has already left to betray Jesus. He's already left, so things are set in motion, and it's only a matter of time now before Jesus is going to be handed over to the authorities, falsely accused and convicted to die by a cross, a Roman cross, crucified, his life taken from him for nothing that he did wrong. And Jesus knows this is about to come, and so he uses this time to encourage and challenge and teach his disciples before he leaves, and in turn, teach us. Now John 15 is a sweet text of scripture. All of John 15 is. And if we were diving into this, we really could look at John 15, 1 through 17 together. But I, I don't want us to do that today. I want to just focus in on verses 1 through 8 because there's so much richness in this text. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 today. Then, starting next week, we're going to do a little Advent sermon series. We already have some Christmas decorations here this evening. We're going to dive into Advent and then to jump back into John 15 at the beginning of January to start off a new year together to help us focus on what God would have for us. So we're going to walk through all of John 1-3, this whole section of scripture, but I want to look at it a little differently today. I want to look at it a little bit differently because I want to make sure that we really understand what it is Jesus isn't saying and what he is saying to us. So first, who are the main players in this illustration, this analogy that Jesus gives to us? We see in these verses three main participants, three main players, the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. The vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. In verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. 
And there's that phrase again, I am. Jesus has said, I am, seven times throughout the Gospel of John. He's making these I am statements like, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way and the truth and the life. In all of those instances, Jesus is communicating not only the truth of that little phrase, but he's saying, I'm God in human flesh. Come to reveal myself to you. So Jesus is finishing those statements up as he heads towards the cross. And he uses this metaphor here. He uses this analogy here to call himself the vine, but there's a lot more meaning to it than we might first realize. In various places in the Old Testament, if we look, we see that Israel, God's people, are often called a vine. But every time God's people are called a vine, it is always when they are unfaithful and unfruitful. They're not walking in obedience to the Lord. So for Jesus here to say that he is the true vine, what he's telling us is he is the true Israel. He's the fulfillment of everything that God's people were supposed to be. Faithful and focused, worshiping and following the Father in everything. Jesus alone then is the only one who can enable us to be reconciled and restored to the Father. He says, I am the true vine. I'm everything that God's people are supposed to be. We also see in verse 1 that the Father is called the vine dresser. Now, we, most of us, I guess, at least I know I don't, like I said, we don't have green thumbs. I don't, I don't know of many vine dressers. Like what, what is that? What is a vine dresser? Well, a vine dresser is the person who would tend to the vine. The person who would make sure that the vine was healthy and growing and protected and producing the fruit that it was supposed to. And we're going to come back to that in more in a few minutes. And then there's the branches. Well, the branches are all of us, all of us. Whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, we'll find that out here in a moment. All of us, whether we know Christ or don't yet know him. But let's talk about these branches for a few minutes. What are the branches supposed to do? What's the purpose, the primary purpose of these branches? Well, we can think about it on our own, but thankfully he tells us in verse 8. So look at verse 8 with me. It says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So if we want to know what the primary purpose of these branches are of our own lives, it's to glorify God. That, that's the purpose for every single person who's ever been created. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very first question that it asks is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the goal of all of humanity? What are we supposed to be about? And the answer is, is that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God is to give all praise and honor to him, to live our lives oriented in such a way that we don't seek to claim fame and accolades for ourselves, that we don't seek to build ourselves up, but we seek to make much of our God for who he is. In all of his perfection and his mightiness and his awesomeness, we would give glory and praise to him. That is the primary purpose of your life. It's to glorify the Father. And the way we glorify the Father, Jesus tells us, is by bearing much fruit. Bearing much fruit. Now what does that mean, right? I, I don't know about you, if you've been around the church for a while, we can use the word fruit. It kind of sounds like Christianese, right? Like it's, it's spiritual language that we throw around, but what does it actually mean to bear fruit in our lives? We're obviously not supposed to grow apples and oranges on our arms. What is Jesus talking about here? What has the sense of that something is to be produced in our life? Something's supposed to come about in your life. 
And if we flip through the pages of Scripture, we can see that that certainly includes things like what we see in Galatians chapter 5, which is the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Those are things that we're supposed to produce in our life. We're to see these things manifest, these characteristics manifest in our lives. But that's not the totality of the fruit that Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is getting at here when he's talking about bearing fruit in this section of scripture is this overarching idea that your life would be conformed more and more and more to the image of Christ. That your life would look more and more like Jesus. The way that you think, the way that you live, the way you interact with others, what you worship, what you do with your time. See, all of us are created in the image of God. Every last person who's ever lived was created in and will be created in the image of God. But our sin has ruined that. Sin that's creeped into the world, this rebellion against God has ruined that. So now every single person that's born into this world is born into the world, bearing the image of God, but in a fractured way. But Jesus has come. Jesus has come, and Colossians 3 tells us he's come to renew the image of God in us. Christ has come through his life and through his death on the cross where he went to be a substitute for sinners like you and me. And through his resurrection, Jesus came to be who you can't be on your own. He came to restore the image of God in you by rescuing you out of your sin and restoring you to a right relationship with God, transforming your heart and life where now instead of living for your own glory and for your own accolades and fame and about yourself, you can live instead for God. Now, when we think about bearing fruit, then it isn't necessarily just doing more things for God. If we think about bearing fruit in our life, it's not like, okay, I need to produce more things. Like I need to get to work and do more stuff for God. And it certainly includes serving God, but that's not the whole picture. Bearing fruit then is about becoming more and more like Jesus who walks in obedience to the Father. Jesus, who worships the Father. It's becoming more and more like Jesus so that anything that you do would be the kinds of things that Jesus does. Loving the things that Jesus does. Doing the things that Jesus calls you to. Following him in every aspect of your life. Listening to his words. Thinking about what he would have you care about and pursue in your life. It's about walking in obedience to your King. But this obedience is not begrudging obligation. It's joyful opportunity that we have. That out of our life, as we seek to be conformed to the image of Christ, bearing out that fruit, that through that we would glorify the Father. See, bearing fruit in your life is about living a transformed life and a transforming life. You have been transformed if you're in Christ. Your, your life has been made new. He's given you a new heart. You're able to say no to sin now, but you still struggle with it. And so God's continuing to transform you and change you to be more and more like his son. It's what actually proves that you're a true disciple of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus, that you're becoming more and more like him. And this is what brings our father glory. This is what exalts the name of our savior, that our lives are being changed in this way. So, if that's the case, how do we do this then? How do we go about becoming more like Christ? How do we go about bearing fruit in our lives? 
How do we thrive instead of ending up like our sad little tomato plant that didn't make it? Does it come about by you walking out of here today and just saying, okay, this week I'm going to become more like Jesus? Just kind of manning up or having willpower to do it on your own? Is it about trying harder and working harder and trying to produce more? Are we involved at all? Or is this something that's always happening outside of us apart from our involvement? Well, the answer to this is the meat of what Jesus is teaching in this text. And so the answer to this about how to bear much fruit comes by way of two things. Something that you do and something that's done to you. Something that you do and something that's done to you. So let's start with what we are called to do. What are we as branches supposed to do? Well, Jesus tells us very clearly in verses 4 and 5. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you are going to bear fruit in your life, if you're going to produce a life, see a life produced within you that looks more and more like Christ, which you're doing the things that he does, loving the things that he loves, then it starts and ends with abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus. Now, that's not a word we often use. At least I don't. I don't talk about abiding a whole lot in my life. So what does that mean? Well, to abide means to remain or to be connected to or to stay or to dwell with and dwell in. So if we're supposed to abide in Jesus, that means we have to be connected to Jesus. And we have to remain in Jesus and with Jesus. This is about the glorious doctrine of your union with Christ. The fact of the matter that you've been united to Christ, that you're connected to him when you place your faith in him. And this doesn't come by way of personal achievement. It doesn't come by way of pedigree, like you figured it out or it came because of your family. The way that you and I are united to Jesus comes by way of the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear and eyes to see and faith to believe that you come to know Christ. See, when you place your faith in Jesus, God the Father fuses you together with his Son so that everything that's Jesus's is yours. His death becomes your death. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. New life is found in him. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So how are those two things interconnected? This idea of bearing fruit and abiding with Jesus. How do those two things go together? Well, that's where Jesus' illustration is so useful, so helpful for us. I mean, we could just think about vines and branches. The branch derives life from the vine. There is no branch that exists and lives apart from being connected to the vine. And the vine produces its fruit through the branches. A vine doesn't just have fruit on its own, it produces fruit through these branches. The branch is a part of it, it's never disconnected from it. If it's disconnected, it has no life. The vine is the branch's life source. And if it dies, if it's not connected to that vine, that it can't bear any fruit. So what Jesus is saying to you then, is if you are branches, then you have to remain in me. This is also true for you. You can't bear fruit. You can't become more like me, renewed in the image of God, unless you abide in me. 
This isn't something where you say, Jesus, thanks for saving me, and now I'm going to go on with my life. I'm going to live however I want to, and I'll figure this out on my own. No, Jesus is saying it starts and finishes with me. You must remain in me, connected to me. Find life in me. And when you abide in me, Jesus says, it is then and only then that you'll bear much fruit and glorify the Father. For apart from Jesus, you can do absolutely nothing. 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 This is so challenging and encouraging to us. It's challenging because it flies in the face of self-sufficiency. It flies in the face of self-sufficiency, which our world is, and culture is constantly championing, championing, that's hard to say, and applauding. You know, that's seeped into the church as well. This idea of being spiritually self-sufficient that we can start to maybe think either overtly or subtly that if I'm really mature, then I should be able to do these things on my own, to be holy and righteous and following Jesus in obedience. But that's self-sufficiency, and Jesus is telling you that's not the way that it's supposed to be. We have this idea in our heads sometimes that we can go fast and go far in life because we have some kind of internal or innate ability to do so. That if you're really mature, you're able to handle the ups and downs because God's wired you to be able to do that. Because you took a personality test that says you can do that. No, Jesus is telling you very clearly here, you can't do anything apart from him. You can't do anything apart from him. In other words, you can't bear fruit, you can't become more like Jesus apart from Jesus. You can't make yourself more holy. You can't make yourself in right standing with God apart from Christ. You can't thrive in your spiritual life apart from your Savior. Now, Jesus is talking primarily to believers here, to people who have already begun or have a relationship with him, who have already placed their faith in him. He tells us that in verse 3. And so I think that's important for us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, to realize, because that means there's still a challenge for us in this. That, That you and I are going to struggle if we're Christians already, we're going to struggle with this idea of abiding, of continuing to follow Christ. You have to keep abiding in Jesus. You have to keep striving to stay connected to Jesus. Because this world that we find ourselves in, it's constantly tempting you to abide in something else. To find life in something else besides Christ. Maybe it's your job or your profession. Maybe it's your family how your kids act, what kind of, how they act in school or what they're doing in school or sports. Maybe it's what your bank account looks like. Maybe it's what people think about you or what they say about you or who your friends are. The world is constantly telling you, find life in these other things. Find life over here. Find life over here. It's telling you to go abide somewhere else, to plant your roots somewhere else. See, this gets to the reason, though, that I think this call and command of Christ is not only challenging for us, but it's really encouraging as well. See, I think a lot of times when we read this text, at least when I've read this text or heard this text, what I can focus in on is the fruit bearing. Okay, I'm supposed to bear more fruit. I want to glorify God. I want to prove that I'm a disciple, so I need to bear more fruit. I need to get to work to bear more fruit. Does that ever hit you that way when you read this text? That that's where you focus is on the fruit bearing? Is that what Jesus is focused on here? Is that what he's calling you to primarily? 
No, it seems that Jesus' main point in all of this is not get to, get to work so that you can bear more fruit. His main point is calling you as his follower, as his disciple, to see yourself primarily as an abider, as one who abides, as one who stays connected to him. So let me ask you, is that how you see yourself? When you think about your relationship with Jesus, when you think about your spiritual life, do you see yourself primarily as that person who's supposed to do more things for God or as someone who's abiding in him? Are you more concerned about what you can accomplish for him or your rest and grace that you've received in and through Christ? Listen to me. All of you are doing and we are called to do great things for God, to honor him and serve him and make much of him in our world. But all of your doing has to flow from your being. All of your doing has to flow from your being, which is being an abider, which is resting in Christ, which is staying connected to Jesus. Your abiding allows you to bear fruit and your fruit bearing shows that you're actually abiding. So if you look at your life right now or some point in the future, and you're assessing your life, and you're thinking about your life, and you're thinking, ah, I don't know if I'm bearing much fruit in my life. I don't know if I'm really becoming more and more like Jesus in my life right now. The encouragement to you isn't, get to work then. Try harder. You better get to work. You better do more. You better bear some more fruit. No, the encouragement to you is, the question to you is, what or who are you abiding in right now? Where are you seeking to plant your roots? Is your heart rooted in Christ, connected to him, or in something else? I've struggled with this throughout my own life, and especially even as a pastor, I've wrestled with this. Like, well, God, I'm supposed to be leading, and I'm supposed to be serving, and I'm supposed to be kind of a professional Christian. Sometimes I'm more concerned with my doing than I am with my being. And one of the greatest gifts to me and to my family was being able to go on sabbatical a couple of years ago and just focus on that. God, help me for these three months just to learn to be. Just to learn to rest in Christ and who I am in Him. And I want the same for you, that you would find yourself resting in Jesus, connected to Jesus. And this brings up another question maybe that you have now or you will have in the future. If I'm supposed to abide, if I'm supposed to stay connected to Jesus so that I can bear out this fruit and glorify my Father, how do I do that? How do I abide? What does that actually look like? Well, thankfully, this text gives us some insight into that as well. Look at verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Your abiding is reinforced. Your abiding is strengthened, not by your own might, not by your willpower, not by your concerted effort, but by the word of God abiding in you. That God's word wouldn't just be kind of a quick hit in your life where you check a box off and move past it, but that God's word would take root in your mind and your heart and start to affect the way that you view the world and think about life your focus and what you're all about, you, that we would be like Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, 16, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly, that it would take root in your life so that it can help you abide. This reminds me of Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. 
and his leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. That sounds a lot like John 15, what Jesus is telling us here, that we would abide in him and his word would abide in us. But is it just his word? It's also prayer that we communicate with God. Notice in verse 7, he says that when we're abiding in Jesus and his word is abiding in us, we're able to ask our Father to do anything and he will do it. Man, that sounds good. We can come before God and ask him to do anything and he'll do it. Now, this isn't some kind of quid pro quo statement. Like where Jesus is telling you, well, hey, just read the Bible a little bit more and then I'll answer your prayers. This is not how Jesus works. Now, this is part and parcel to abiding. As you seek to abide in Christ and see his word abide in you, that what you'll begin to be praying about is that your life will be conformed more and more to Christ. That you're living out what the word is calling you to. That your mind is being shaped in such a way, your mind renewed in such a way, that what you're asking for is that your life would be changed and your neighbor's lives would be changed as well to become more like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, immersing yourself in the word of God, praying the word of God, being around people, Jesus's people who are doing those same things is central to your abiding. Not some kind of rote mechanical way, again, where you're just checking a box off, but seeing it as living and active, as relationship, as transformation, seeing your mind and your heart transformed, guarding and guiding you to stay focused on Christ and seek the things above where Christ is, and not the things of this world. Now, this has been huge in my own spiritual journey. I came to know Christ, thankfully, was blessed to grow up in the church and hear about Jesus and trust in Christ. He was baptized at 11. And throughout middle school and high school, kind of had ups and downs spiritually. And I remember one instance in my life in my junior year, I guess it was in between my junior and senior year of high school, went off to a camp for a week. And God did something unique in my life during that time, during those few days at that camp. And I remember just... The Spirit is working in me to give me a greater love for Christ, to see that I'm really supposed to follow Him in all of my life, not kind of have this segregated view of following Jesus. And I remember coming back from that camp my junior year of high school, in between my junior and senior year, and really just saying, well, man, I don't spend much time praying. I should, I should spend time communicating with my Father. So I began praying and seeking after Him. And God continued to work in my life before I went off to college and made it very clear to me that I could either do one of two things. I could kind of go the way of the world and do whatever I wanted to do, or I could continue to follow Jesus and really follow him in all of life. And by God's grace, he put people around me my freshman year of college who helped me to begin to do that more, to understand community, understand not only prayer, but reading the Bible and being in God's Word. I remember my Bible study leader in college just challenging me to read God's Word every day just for a few minutes. And at first I thought he was nuts. Like what? Every day? 20 or 30 minutes? I, I don't have time. I can't. What are you talking about? Okay, but I trust you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do that. And God began to cultivate a love for his Word during that time. And that's just back at that point in my life when God's continued to weave those things in my life. I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for those kinds of moments in my life. And I'm guessing some of you wouldn't be here today for the same kinds of reasons. Now, it hasn't all been rosy all along the way. There are times and moments in my life where I don't want to spend time in prayer, and I don't want to spend time in God's Word, and I don't want to abide in Jesus. I want to go do whatever it is that I want to go do. But I come back and remember these things, that those are the things that have utterly changed my life. And I hope they'll change your life as well. That you will either start doing those kinds of things or continue doing them if you're already doing them. Where do you need to make a step, make a plan to be an abider? 
to pursue God and his word and through his word and prayer. Listen, abiding in Christ, abiding in Christ is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian life. We never move on from it. We never become self-sufficient. A true disciple of Jesus is always becoming more fully a disciple of Jesus. This continues to mold and shape you. It's ongoing. So we have to keep pursuing this and keep fighting against sin in our life to pursue our Savior. That's why verse 6 is so sobering for us, or should be. Verse 6, Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. What this means is there's no neutral position. You're either alive in Christ or dead in your sin. To be a part of God's true people, redeemed and restored, you have to be connected to Jesus. It's not just about believing in God or being spiritual, but it's about following Christ. Like John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Life is found in and through Jesus and him alone. Now, this is not a, a call to shame you or to guilt you. If you don't yet know Christ, it's a call to come and be. It's a call to life, to experience life and grace in him now and forever. And so if you don't yet know Christ, I want to invite you to come to him today by faith. Everything else in your life that you're seeking to tie your life to or to root your heart in is like planting a plant in soil that has a high level of cyanide in it. Not only is it not going to produce fruit, it's going to lead to death. Jesus invites you to find life in him, to find rest in him, to find salvation in him. But something else that came to mind for me this week as I was thinking about this text and, and working on it and praying was that there may be others of you who've called yourself a Christian for a long time. But maybe by the work of the Spirit in your life, you're realizing that that's been a name only. Maybe it's because of your parents. Maybe it's because of your upbringing. Maybe it's that you've just kind of been going through the, the motions. But the honest reality of your heart and life is that you don't have a love for God. You don't have a love for others. There's no real spiritual fruit being produced in your life right now. You aren't looking and living more and more like Jesus. Maybe you have some semblances of fruit in your life, but it's like you've just kind of nailed those to your life, like with a nail gun or staples. It's not real fruit. It's just kind of hanging there, pretending. In verse 2, Jesus tells us that the branches that don't bear fruit are removed. These aren't people who had salvation but then lose salvation. It's people who were never really saved in the first place. If that's you, I want to plead with you to actually come to Jesus today, to actually come to know Christ today. But come to him not with knowledge, not with information, not with good things that you've done, even in the name of God. Come to him with your greatest need. Come to him with nothing, just your need to be forgiven and set free and made new. Come alive in Christ today. Listen, you and I are only able to bear fruit in your life by abiding in Jesus. But your fruit bearing isn't something that's just up to us to abide. There's also something that's done to us. And this is what I want to close with. Look back at verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
The father is the vine dresser. He's the one that tends to and cares for the vine and branches. The vine dresser removes false branches, but it says he also prunes branches that, they're, that are already bearing fruit so they can bear more fruit. This idea of pruning, it involves cutting and removing, cleaning and purifying. Have you ever seen a pruned tree or plant before? After a gardener's maybe taken the shears to it? It usually doesn't look very good. It looks maybe a little shabby or ratty as these branches have been cut off of it. It's kind of shaped maybe in an odd way. It doesn't always look great right away, but it's always necessary. It's necessary for its health and the growth of the plant. So listen to me. If you are abiding in Jesus and you're striving to do that, the Father, the vine dresser, he is going to prune you. He's going to prune you. He's going to cut and remove. He's going to cleanse and purify. He's going to take things out of your life and crush idols along the way. He's going to do this individually for you, and he's going to do it corporately within his church. I believe God's doing a pruning work in our country right now in the American church, but it's for our good so that we might bear out more fruit. Pruning can be painful and difficult. It can be. But we have to know that this discipline that God brings into our life is always out of love. It is always for our good. It's always to help you abide. The Father is passionate about you bearing more fruit. He's passionate about you being a fruitful follower of Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, because he believes and knows, not just believes, he knows, that it's for your greatest good, for his greatest glory. So this pruning is not an add-on to the Christian life. It's necessary. It's a display of God's love and commitment to you. He doesn't leave you to yourself, but I know it can be hard. At various points in my walk with Jesus, there have been some seasons of pruning and discipline that have been really difficult for me as God is taking things away and stripping things away and refining me and molding me and shaping me in such a way that's so challenging and so painful that there's been moments and times where I've thought, well, God, I don't think you really love me. I think you, you, you've abandoned me. I don't feel your nearness in my life right now. But it's in those moments I'm thankful for this text. To be reminded of the Father's love for me, I'm thankful for verse 3, where he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. That's a verse of assurance. The pruning in my life, the pruning in your life, isn't because I'm not in Christ, but because I am in Christ. The pruning in my life and in your life is not because Jesus has abandoned me, but because he's for me. The Father's for me and he's for you. If you're in Christ, you've already been made clean in Jesus. Pruning, as painful as it is, is about bringing to completion that work that God has begun in you. Every time and every season of pruning in my life has always given me a stronger awareness of my deep need for my Savior. My need to abide in Jesus place that I want any of us to move away from. Maybe the Father's doing a pruning work in your life right now. If there's something that's coming to mind for you right now, or it doesn't even take much to drum up what that pruning work is in your life at this moment, let me encourage you, don't resist it. Don't resist it. Don't run away from it. Press in and cling all the more to your Savior who lived and died and rose again for you. Let's not also miss one other thing that's done to you. Another key encouragement. Verse 4, it says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. You don't only abide in Jesus. Jesus abides in you as well. 
you were called to hold to called to hold fast to him and you're able to do that because he holds fast to you never to leave you never to forsake you never to abandon you what amazing grace we have in our savior when all of these things work together when you strive to abide in Jesus and know that Jesus abides in you and the Father out of love is pruning you in order to mold you and shape you to become more like his son, it's then and there in that place, in those moments, that you can bear fruit and glorify God. It's then and there that you can thrive, not just in the big stuff in life, but those everyday, ordinary, mundane moments that all of us encounter at work, at home, folding laundry, doing the dishes spending time with our family and friends. It's in those moments that we can honor our Savior and our God as we seek to become more like Him. Listen, what Jesus says here isn't rocket science, but it's so important because our world is full of distractions. So in the midst of all the noise, I just want to call you back to these basics, these basis of your relationship with Christ. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Him. Be desperate for Him. He is the vine. You are the branches. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. So come to him, rest in him, remain in him. He is good and he is faithful to the end. Amen. We get to come and take communion together now as a first response to the preaching of God's word. And just as Jesus used this illustration to remind us of our great need to abide in him, so communion is an illustration of the sacrifice Jesus made for us to enable us to be able to abide in him. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us. And we drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. And so as you eat and drink today, may it point you back to your rescue, but also point you ahead to your restoration, to the time when Jesus will come again to make all things new, when we'll get to see him face to face and be with him forever. May this meal compel you to abide in Christ so that you might bear much fruit until he comes again. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we would just ask you not to take communion this evening, but instead to take Christ. That if you've never placed your faith in him, that you would begin today by doing that, placing your faith in him, crying out to him to rescue you and save you. And if you have questions about what it means to know and follow him, let me know. Let anybody here know. We'd love to journey with you in that. For those of you that will take it, if you haven't already grabbed the elements that are out on the table right in the lobby, you can take those elements whenever you feel ready to. Maybe take some time to pray, to repent, to rejoice in the grace given to you in Christ. And then we'll stand and sing together. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for this time we have in your word. We give you thanks for Jesus giving us this illustration. And Jesus, we thank you that you're the vine, that we're the branches. Would you help us to abide in you? Would you help us to set our minds and our hearts on you? Father, thank you for pruning us. Thank you for helping us to become more like Christ. Help us now to not resist it, but to rejoice when pruning comes, knowing that it's a testament of your love and your care for us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd help us by your power to root ourselves in Jesus and nothing else, and that by doing so that we would bear much fruit to the glory of God. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.